Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 27 in our series for 2018, and today's date is Friday, August the 17th. First, I talk to Alec Gardner, the chief executive of analytics consultancy firm Alpha Zeta. Alpha Zeta specialises in everything from strategy through to data science and visualisation to production. It's particularly strong in the data science field and it's growing in the other associated disciplines like strategy, cloud architecture, visual design, engineering. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Alpha Zeta team is comprised of independent analytic experts and specialist consulting firms, and it operates with a freelancer model, which is resonating very strongly in this space, where skilled resources are hard to find and harder to retain. And then I talk to economist Stephen Kakoulis. He says the Reserve Bank of Australia seems to have lost the plot. With Turkey putting the markets in turmoil, and with Australia's inflation well below target, its relatively high unemployment and low wages growth, he says the RBA has to pull its finger out and do something. He says it has to cut rates. But first, let's talk to Alec Gardner. Alec Gardner, tell us about AlphaZeta. So AlphaZeta is a, uh, an end-to-end analytics consulting firm. Uh, we offer expert services from strategy through data science and visualisation all the way into production. Uh, this, the difference with AlphaZeta is our consultants are freelance. So they're independent experts, or they belong to 
specialist small consulting firms themselves. These are freelance data specialists. Yes, absolutely. So people who've developed and got experience in data and analytics, um, they've got that that breadth of experience they're going to call upon, and they want to go into freelance work. Um, and we're providing a consulting, a full-service consulting organisation backbone to support them in their desire to take their career into that, you know, um, flexible portfolio um, type of work where they do lots of different projects, they manage lots of different clients, they may even have their own business as well as they as they develop. And so, tell us about your clients. Who are the big ones? So we've um, uh, we've started with uh, um, one of the startup banks. So you think about a, a large startup. So Vault Bank have uh, just recently been granted a, uh, a banking license, a savings license, one of the first ones that's been granted in the last twenty years. Um, so they're a startup in a in a big domain. They need that flexibility as they develop their data analytics strategy and build out their capability. So. AlphaZeta is the primary consulting partner to Vault, Vault Bank, from analytics architecture, data acquisition, um, uh, data design, and then into the reporting that the bank will need to do, and then the consumer analytics. So that's a a good example of a a client that needs that kind of flexible workforce. And we're actually seeing that even traditional organisations are looking at that sort of flexibility for... um, Uh, staffing around analytics in particular because projects tend to come and go they tend to have a big burst and then they move into a different phase of of production Um, we also um, an interesting uh, interesting project that we've got going on that actually emphasises analytics uh, AlphaZeta's global reach is that one of our um, consultants in Denmark has an organisation called Anchor Labs they developed um, uh, um, an image recognition capability that Queensland Fisheries have just invested in. So that technology has come from AlphaZeta and our consultants in Denmark. They're licensing that to Queensland Fisheries and um, consultants, AlphaZeta consultants are doing the analysis. So this looks at, at um, uh, catches as they come in and classifies the, uh, classifies the actual catch based on the, the image recognition um, technology. So they're just going through the testing of that. It's quite an interesting... Uh, interesting new algorithm that's been developed and uh, quite innovative of, uh, of Queensland Fisheries to have a look at. And so what generally is the type of work that AlphaZet is doing? So we're doing a lot of data science work. We're helping organisations really do the, the capture of new data and, and almost like an R&D kind of analysis of what's possible with that data. Because we're very, we're very strong in the data science space. In, in Australia and New Zealand, we have almost 100 people on our team now. Uh, as we said, they're all freelancers, so we don't engage them all at, at, you know, at, at all the time. Um, but you know, companies are coming and asking us about data science in particular because that's one area where the staff themselves want flexibility. They want variety of work, so it's easy for us to get the best of the best into, into our team. Um, and then we've got that level of expertise that can help organisations with an area they struggle with, an area they struggle to retain staff, and an area they, 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 they struggle to source staff, and we're able to bring in those experts. What's interesting with your model is you're doing it completely with freelancers. Yes, yes, and, and you know, it's, um, it's working very well in this space, um, in the data science space, because it's a high-skill, high-demand uh, environment and you know the uh, uh, 
the best of the best have realized that they can, you know, they can develop um, a freelance career and they can manage a portfolio of clients. Um, freelancing isn't, you know, all, you know, uh, great white space. It is tough. You know, you go from one project. If you're a freelancer, there's a, there's a potential to, you know, find, a bit of, find it a little bit lonely. Um, so as AlphaZeta is a consulting company, we provide a, a backbone and a team environment for those people. Um, it's hard if you're a freelancing to keep selling. You know, you've got to keep selling yourself. And, you know, as again, as AlphaZeta, we provide um, sales support and, and growth for our, for our freelancers as and when they need work. Um, and also, you know, that variety they want. If they work in a traditional environment, either in a traditional consultancy firm or in a, you know, in a, in a big corporation, they don't necessarily get the variety of work. And as I say, in particular in data science, the kind of people that excel at that, they want that variety. They always want new challenges. Well, what's interesting is the type of people that you're attracting. I would imagine a lot of them would be entrepreneurial and would have investments in startups as well yes yeah exactly and, and again it's another thing that that we have to do so if we're going to be a successful consulting organization supporting freelancers and actually providing value to those consultants we've got to help them with that as well so a lot of them you know they, they have an idea they've 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 seen an opportunity in the market they've gone and developed it um, they might have got some funding. They might have gone through an accelerator. I do spend quite a lot of time in the, uh, you know, in the accelerators that uh, uh, that exist with uh, with our consultants because a lot of them are based out of there, and they need to pay the bills, so they do freelancing for that. But also, one of the the things that we want to do is take those ideas to market. You know, we've heard a lot, and we see a lot in Australia about how we've got all this investment in startups. We've got some great accelerators going on. The, the rubber hits the road really when those things actually get to market. So our consultants have come up with great ideas and then we are also a channel to market for them. We've actually got one really good example of that that's just come through. Um, so consultants of ours, um, Jalal Kia, who's uh, based in Auckland, one of our, our, our consultants, and um, uh, Vahid Hadari, who's actually based in Perth. So two guys based on the opposite ends of our, of our uh, geography. Um, they came up with an idea. So they've been consulting with us, but they came up with an idea for um, the maintenance of telegraph poles. So very specific idea, right? It's a, uh, it's a um, capital-heavy um, process. People have to go and check them and, and what have you. Um, so it's actually capital-heavy anyway in its normal predictive process, but when it's done through emergency, it's actually very, very expensive. So the guys came up with, uh, they actually created the instrument that you attach to a telegraph pole, takes all the readings, and then the data that comes off that all go, then goes into an analytic model that will then help optimize the predictive maintenance of those telegraph poles. And they've now taken that, so it's called Altimore, altimore.ai, and they've taken that into AlphaZeta as a channel for sales as well. So all our consultants around the world, we're in 40 different countries, they can now see that and take it to market for for those guys. That's extraordinary. It would have demand all over the world, wouldn't it? Yes, it's uh, so it's, it's a big hot topic here in Australia. Big yes, in, big in New Zealand, and actually the US is a real market for that as well. Now, I'd imagine though, I mean, a lot of companies would have difficulty recruiting specialists in areas like data science, strategy, cloud architecture, visual design, engineers. So your company would actually provide them with those skills. Yes. Yeah, so everything from everything from an individual, so where organisations, you know, are a 
are a bit more mature in their analytic life cycle and they need that specialist skill for a short period of time, then that's absolutely that's absolutely something that we do and something that we provide. But also then, you know, the the tier two, tier three companies, everyone's trying to start up with analytics. You know, they probably want more of the advice and then the proof of the architecture and then the you know the actual analytic capabilities and we can provide that as a project as well. And again, the more we put those teams together, the more quickly we can add value to clients and the more we bring value to those consultants who want to work as freelancers but get the benefit of being involved in a team environment. Now how does it work in, in financially? I mean they they paid per job and you get a cut of that, is that right? Yes, yes basically. I mean it's we don't have because of our freelancer model, we don't carry the overhead of bench. We don't carry the overhead of a large managing partner team that you'd see in a traditional consultancy firm. So the margin that we the margin that we put on top of, of our consultants is considerably less. So the value proposition to clients is you can actually get a high level of expertise at a lower price, mm. and for those consultants too, they, they still get the benefit of the freelance market, and, and you know generally the freelance piece you work for yourself, you get more money for your piece as well. Which gives you one up on firms like McKinsey and Boston Consultant. It, it, it does in terms of price, yeah, and then in terms of skill as well sometimes. And so what's the future of Alphazetto? So the the uh, the market's going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to bring um, more concise offerings to market. So we already have, you know, a strategy uh, offering, a roadmap offering for clients as to they get started or they refine their analytics piece, cloud architecture. So a series of, of well-defined service offerings, and then bringing those IP to market. That's what we really want to do. We really want to start to bring in some more of these examples like Altamore. Bring those into market. Um, the other thing that I'm very conscious of is you talk about the freelance market uh, in this way, and it's very attractive. It's it's the perfect time for highly skilled people who are in high demand. But I'm also conscious that we see this freelance um, uh, model becoming the norm in the future. There's various um, research that says that you know in 10 years' time, more than half of Americans, for example. Uh, I haven't seen the numbers for Australia, but the half of Americans will be freelancing in some way or another. And, and that's great, as I say, in the environment where you know, we're working at the moment, but I'm very conscious of the fact that we've got to get people into this as well. So we're already developing within our current consulting base that expertise into training, into mentoring and into apprenticeships so that we can bring through the next level of uh, the next level of staff because you know I'm a father of three young children I you know I look at what their career is going to look like it's going to be very different to my traditional teacher graduate trainee consultant permanent job permanent job now I'm here it's going to be very different for them um, so we want to be able to make sure that we support um, that talent as it comes through and again another way of doing that is is through that IP as they come out of their studies as they you know they have that entrepreneurial bounce about them we want to give them a platform which they can monetize that and then with that income have the backing to be able to go into um, consulting as well. Well Alec Gardner Alpha Zeta sounds like a fascinating company and it's doing really well and uh, we'll be watching it with fascination and thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much Leo. And now let's talk to economist Stephen Kakoulis. Stephen Kakoulis, we have quite a week on our hands. We have Turkey putting the markets into all sorts of turmoil. 
We have the figures for Australia's unemployment rate, which is not going down. And we've got the figures for Australia's appalling wages growth. And yet the Reserve Bank is sitting there doing nothing. What's your view about this? Oh, gosh, you've raised some, a range of interesting points. Because just last week, we saw the RBA meeting and their statement on monetary policy. And they've got zero inclination, that's zero inclination to cut rates. And while they're not about to hike them, they are still talking about the prospect of higher rates sometime down the track. Now, to me, that seems a very risky strategy because we do know that wages growth is very low. We do know that the June quarter inflation data, which came out yeah, roughly two weeks ago, were very weak yet again. And all it's going to take is, say, this problem from Turkey to spill over to emerging markets, and then that impacts on the Eurozone and commodity prices and the like. You know, we've got gold under $1,200 an ounce, for example. And then Australia just gets caught in the backwash of that, and the RBA has been very, very tardy in uh, looking at the policy settings that it can influence, and that is interest rates. It seems to me that the RBA is always wrong in its forecasts. Its forecast that the unemployment rate will go down. It hasn't. It's forecast that wages growth will rise. It hasn't. And it's saying that the inflation rate will hit target and it's nowhere near that. What's going on here? Yeah, look, I think the critical point is that the inflation target is being missed and it has been for three years now. And they've, look, they've decided to target financial stability and that means a relative calm in the housing market. They prefer to have the housing market settle down, if that's the right terminology, than to sort of kickstart the economy and get the unemployment rate lower. So they've, they're still on that bandwagon, even though we're seeing quite clearly house prices in Sydney and Melbourne, which were the two big problem cities with booming house prices uh, up until the uh, end of last year anyway, prices in those two cities are coming down. So now we've got this scenario which even makes... Uh, the case for steady or high rates even more ridiculous because if house prices are falling at a time when inflation's below target, when wages are well under control at very low levels, the last thing you need is a rate hike. And if anything, the case can be made, and made quite strongly in my view, that they should be trimming interest rates. So you're saying the RBA should actually be looking at cutting rates? I think they should. Put, put it this way. So we're at 1.5% cash rate. Um, of course, they'd have to keep a firm hand on uh, lending for mortgages because they do not want to rekindle a boom in house prices. But that can be done independently of interest rates. They can simply say to the banks and through APRA to sort of keep a, con a constraint on uh, mortgage lending, particularly for investors, and then trim rates to 1%. It'll allow the dollar to fall. It'd free up business investment to, to increase. That's one of the missing ingredients of the economy right now. And... If you were to look at the inflation forecast, you would only just then get inflation back to within the target range. So to me, the risk reward of cutting rates now seems to be fairly skewed towards just doing it uh, and then not really running a risk of um, having inflation blow out, nor to have the housing market rekindled as long as it's implemented with a, a firm hand on on uh, lending for the, for the mortgage market. So what's the RBO's agenda here? I think it's just this uh, approach to housing. That, yeah, they've got a bugbear about house prices, and if prices were to collapse, it has real problems for the economy. So they're, in colloquial terms, sort of heading it off at the past by keeping rates higher than they would otherwise need to be. Now, as we've just discussed, that's a risky strategy, and they've, in a way they've already achieved it because, yeah, we, we know that house prices in Sydney are down almost 6% 
since their peak. Melbourne's now down about 3.5% since the end of last year. So, okay, they're not huge falls, but there's no evidence that the falls are stopping yet. So the concern would be uh, if we get to the end of this year and the first quarter of 2019 and house prices are down another 3 or 4 or 5% in those two big cities, you're starting to talk... Uh, you know, falls of 10% from the peak level. And that actually does impact on consumers' wealth. It impacts on people who borrowed at the top of the cycle and have got the risk of negative equity. And that's when you get a major problem occurring. So I think the RBA is sort of playing with fire right now. Well, the issue, the problem with uh, falling house prices is we, we all know what happened in the US when house prices fell back in 2008. Oh, indeed. And that, and that was the disaster. It was not only a disaster for the people who lost their houses or the price you know, collapsed for their prices. It meant problems for the banks because the banks lost money. It wasn't just the consumer. It was the banks who were selling these uh, foreclosed houses at a loss confirming losses for the banking sector. And, of course, when the banks start losing money like that, they stop lending, they have a rethink about their their uh, lending strategy, and you get the proverbial credit crunch, uh, which which causes the economy to be even weaker than we're currently experiencing. And I think that's the risk. Look, it's not the, the main scenario, but I think the RBA is just skating on very, very thin ice right now. So when these next round of employment and wage numbers hit the screens and we find out a little bit more what's happening in the housing market, I think we could be well seeing the market reassessing its um, assessment that the next move in rates is up. And I think that, yeah, there's a real chance that we'll see some economists anyway start to think, well, maybe the next move's actually down. My problem with that is all the economists are saying the next rate story for the RBA won't be until 2020. Now, I've looked at all the yield curves and I've read all the economists' reports and everyone is saying that America will be in recession in 2020, which happens to be an election year. Where does that leave the RBA? Oh, look, that's a that's a real risk. Look, I, it's, I, I see exactly the point because, of course, the yield curve's starting to get very flat, if not getting close to inverting. With one or two more Fed rate hikes, we could easily be there. And, of course, that's a precursor to... Um, uh, the central bank doing too much, as in tightening too much at a time when you've got very low inflation. And even though the unemployment rate's low in the US, the wages side there isn't much stronger than here in Australia. So you've got this whole scenario where the risks are rapidly building in the US economy that after the sugar hit from the Trump tariff, uh, oh, sorry, the tax cuts, I should say, the Trump tax cuts, once they start to uh, wane and sort of uh, fade away from the economy, which is already starting to happen, and it probably will be in full swing early in 2019, that all that uh, stimulus, if you like, is not going to be there anymore, then, of course, you get the scenario where the US economy does weaken. Just look at their bond market. You've got the 10-year yield there uh, back at around about 2.85%. So the bond market's pricing in a cooling in economic activity, arguably something a little bit worse than that. And the RBA would be very, very wise to have a look at that scenario before they were too um, uh, gung-ho about a strong world economy helping us out. Right, right. And so... uh... We're now, we're, we're basically in uncharted waters, aren't we? Well, we are. We've got the, yeah, indeed. And particularly uh, on a couple of fronts, that, yeah, we're just how the US economy is going after the Trump tax cuts fade. We've got Turkey and emerging markets now, well, presenting a challenge. I don't, I, I'm not yet willing to say that that's a major risk, but that, yeah, every day that you get, uh, more volatility and uncertainty in emerging markets is a day closer to uh, uh, some bad economic news. And as we just touched on, the housing market here is clearly, clearly falling. 
and the implications of that could be quite significant if we were to see further weakness um, occurring because of course that also means that dwelling construction housing construction so real gdp you know uh, starts to weaken and uh, into 2019 as the housing cycle in terms of construction also starts to turn lower so what should we be expecting from the RBA? What should we be demanding from the RBA? Yeah. Look, given that they only put out their statement a week ago, they're not, they don't, they're not the sort of organisation that doesn't about-face in, uh, in a very short period of time. But I think what we should be looking for the RBA to, to deliver and, and to change its rhetoric is that perhaps over the next three months, over the next three months, obviously, we get the wages number, we get a lot more employment numbers, extra data on housing and the international economy, but also we get the September quarter CPI. Uh, that comes out in uh, October. So, OK, it's a little way away. But if that is another low figure, which on all indications it probably will be, then I think by the time we get to the November and December meetings of the RBA, that you really need to see them be a bit more realistic. So, you know, hang on, say that there are risks. I don't expect them to cut before Christmas, but there is a very real risk that they should be seeing uh, a more balanced approach to where the economy is going, simply because inflation has been so low for so long, wages growth is uh, clearly very, very weak, and the unemployment rate isn't falling much. So I think the scenario has got to change. It won't happen overnight, but over the next couple of months, the next few speeches from the RBA uh, could well be starting to just soften up this rhetoric that the next move is up. Right, right. And uh, hopefully we're going to see more realism creeping into their yeah. stance. Yeah. And it's just realism. And it's, not, it's not to be critical of them, but you know, if you just run through the data on the economy, so what's happening to business investment, housing construction, retail spending, wages, inflation, the international economy, yeah, there's there some pockets of strength. You know, public sector infrastructure is doing pretty well. So, But there are these areas of weakness which is making it very hard for the economy to sustain a 3% plus GDP pace. It's making it hard for the unemployment rate to get below 5% and for wages to pick up. And while that's the scenario, the RBA is going to keep missing its inflation target. It needs There needs to be a, a, a something coming from left field to kick the economy high. It could be a stronger world economy, although, as we discussed, that's unlikely. It could be fiscal stimulus. Well, we've got an election coming up. There could be something there, but that they seem to be phasing over many years rather than in the short term. The one that can be implemented now that doesn't cost the government any money, uh, that has a pretty quick effect, is an interest rate cut. So um, it, it'll, be, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see just how, they, how and when they change their rhetoric. Stephen Coolis, it's always fantastic talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Leon. Always a pleasure too. So what's happening in the news? Well, shares fell this week as Turkey rattled global markets. Turkey entered another week of financial market turmoil, with the Turkish lira plunging further after unsettling global markets on Friday. The escalating dispute with US President Donald Trump and concerns about the management of the Turkish economy saw the Turkish lira losing a fifth of its value against the dollar last week. The lira has fallen more than 40% since the start of the year, piling stress on Turkish companies burdened with unhedged dollar and euro-denominated debt and raising fears that the country will struggle to meet its large external financing needs. The sharp fall in the lira raised concerns about Turkish lenders' ability to repay their large foreign debts, with Bank of International Settlements figures showing Spanish banks lent $80.9 billion to banks headquartered in Turkey, including subsidiaries in the first quarter. That was followed by the $35.15 billion 
led by French banks, and $18.49 billion by Italian banks. This, in turn, has spooked investors, worried that this will create another global financial crisis. Now, Turkish consumers are facing rising food, fuel and medicine prices, with the inflation rate expected to jump rapidly from the current 15.4%. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who assumed new financial powers after Turkey's election last June, has urged Turks to take dollars, euros and gold, kept under their pillows, and convert it to lira to prop up the currency. Now, the lira plunged after Mr Trump said the US would double tariffs on imports of Turkish aluminium and steel, escalating the dispute over the detention of American evangelical pastor Andrew Brunson on terrorism charges. Now, Turkey's economy isn't all that large, so even if it were to collapse, that wouldn't necessarily have a huge impact on the global economy. But elements of a Turkish saga show how other financial markets could be vulnerable to a similar exodus of foreign investors. In recent years, investors in wealthier parts of the world like the US, Europe and Japan have lent billions of dollars to governments and companies in developing economies like Turkey, South Africa and Argentina. In past crises, one way that trouble spread was through the banking system. Foreign banks lent money to companies, investors and governments in the crisis-stricken countries. And as borrowers defaulted, those loans led to deep losses that threatened to undermine the health of the financial systems thousands of miles away. And there are echoes of that situation in today's Turkey crisis. A number of large European banks, including Italy's Unicredit, Spain's BBVA and France's BNP Paribas own stakes in Turkish lenders. Other Western banks are exposed to Turkey via loans to Turkish companies. Those banking losses might not look likely to presage a broader crisis, but if other emerging market countries follow Turkey into trouble, the losses could worsen. And Australia's wages growth has come in exactly in line with market forecasts. Data released by the Australian Bureau of Statistics showed hourly wage growth, excluding bonuses, rose by 0.6%. This left annual wage growth at 2.1%, in line with the rate of inflation. This was unchanged from the March quarter. ABS Chief Economist Bruce Hockman said this means wages growth has stabilised between 2 and 2.1% over the past four quarters. Private sector wages rose 0.5%, public sector wages by 0.6%. And business conditions have fallen in most industries except for construction, according to the latest NAB monthly business survey. Conditions were down in the manufacturing, retail, finance and mining sectors. The business conditions index fell two points to 12 index points in July. This continues its downward trend since April. It's now well down from the peak levels reported from October last year through to April. But the numbers are still above their long-run average of six. Perceptions of falling profitability at minus four and trading conditions at minus five were behind the business owners reporting declining conditions. On the flip side, business confidence ticked up one point to seven index points, putting it at around an average level. The survey also suggests that employment growth should be solid for the year. And diversified conglomerate West Farmers has agreed to sell its Kmart and Autosire service business to Germany's Continental for $350 million. The sale of KTAS, which has 258 stores across Australia and more than 1,200 staff, is expected to be completed in the first quarter of the 2019 financial year. 
subject to competition and foreign investment approvals. And the Royal Commission into Banking continued, and the big insurance and wealth manager Suncor has been forced to remove advertised claims it offered low-fee superannuation after being confronted with evidence from the Bank Royal Commission. Suncor also admitted the fees paid by its superannuation members are not included in its product disclosure statement. The fee structure is instead buried in a 59-page Suncor Everyday Super Guide, which doesn't specify the amount of the fee either. Instead, it declares Suncor holds right to hold any tax surplus accrued from investments and pay it to a related entity to cover administration fees. In other words, surplus tax from investments, which generally amount to millions each year, is not returned to members, but it's retained by Suncor. And a Commonwealth Bank subsidiary has committed 15,000 offences under superannuation laws and kept commissions on accounts that are meant to be free of the charges, according to the Banking Royal Commission. The Commission heard Colonial First State failed to move an initial 13,000 customers to the simple, low-cost MySuper default products as soon as the new laws came into effect in 2014. And the number of affected customers and offences then grew to 15,000. And the owner of John Coote's Furniture is closing down the iconic furniture retail chain, which was known for its TV ads in the 1980s and 90s. About 90 full-time staff and 45 part-time staff will lose their job. The significant increase in the competitive environment combined with softer retail market conditions has resulted in our decision to close the business, owner Eleanor Investors Group told investors on Monday morning. Eleanor had been reviewing the business since June. The decision follows the privatisation of another old-school TV-driven retail chain, Godfrey's, which exited the ASX last month after losing 90% of its share price value in the past three years. And the profit reporting season continues, and here are some of the latest figures. West Farmer's full-year net profit fell 58.3% to $1.197 billion. That's down from $2.873 billion a year ago. And earnings... At its subsidiary, Coles dragged down West Farmer's earnings. Earnings at Coles fell 6.8% to $1.5 billion, with revenue broadly in line with the previous year. Insurance Australia Group's profit dipped to $1.001 billion for the 12 months to June 30. That's down from $1.005 billion the previous year. Computer shares net profit for the year to June 30 rose 12.6% to $300 million. Six net profit after tax was $229.5 million, up from $220.8 million last year, but statutory profit was down 84% to $53.2 million, and that was dragged down by $147 million of significant items. Fairfax Media swung to a full-year net loss of $63.8 million. And real estate listings company Domain Holdings has experienced a 120% drop in full-year profit. The company reported a $6.2 million loss in the 2017-18 financial year, and that's a significant drop from the $23.5 million net profit it posted in the previous year. Domain's loss was affected by a write-down of $29.6 million, predominantly related to its print and transaction segments. Print revenue fell 13% due to ongoing structural shifts to digital advertising. Now, Domain's print business includes magazines and listings published in newspapers like the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age and the Australian Financial Review. 
and in addition, there was $4.6 million worth of restructuring and redundancy costs. Now, Woodside Petroleum posted a 6% increase in net profit to $541 million US. CSL has lifted its full-year net profit by 29% to US $1.73 billion, that's Australian $2.39 billion, boosted by new launches and strong sales of products including its flu vaccines. Electronics retailer JB Hi-Fi's profit has jumped 12% despite its earnings margin falling as fierce competition forced it to cut prices. The company revealed net profit after tax of $233 million for the year to June 30. That's up from $207 million a year before. Australia's last remaining listed steelmaker, Bluescope, has continued its extraordinary recovery, posting a $1.6 billion profit. The result, while boosted by one-off gains of $743 million, was 119% up on last year. Bendigo and Adelaide Bank announced a 6.4% increase in statutory profit after tax of $434.5 million. Horizon reported a 6% increase in earnings to $941 million. NIB expects underlying profit of about $184 million for the 2018 financial year, above its previous forecast of $165 million. Domino's Pizza sold $2.59 billion in pizza last financial year to record a statutory profit of $121.5 million, up 18.1%. The NAB has warned of provisions ahead of from the Financial Services Royal Commission as the bank recorded a drop in cash earnings for the third quarter. In a trading update, the bank says unaudited cash earnings for the three months of June were $1.65 billion, down 3% on the same period last year. Credit impairment charges rose 9% to $203 million. Cochlear net profit for the 12 months to June 30 jumped 10% to $245.8 million. That's up from $223.6 million a year ago. And that's on the back of a 9% rise in sales revenue to $1.35 billion. And that's it for this week. And next week I have a great interview with Shane Brett, who runs Gecko Governance, a company that works in the blockchain area in the financial services, and we have an interview all the way from Ireland. In the meantime, you can keep up with me on Twitter at TalkingBiz, B-O-Z, or on Facebook. Looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.